guys. So before we start this episode, we have a quick request. We'd really appreciate it if you could kindly review us on iTunes. Please give us five stars. If you like our content, simply go to iTunes mobile app and hit write review. We'd love your support. And we do this podcast out of love and we really want to share with more people and this would really help. So thank you so much. Here's the episode. Five to nine is a podcast for the side hustle generation. For those who make their bread in a 9-to-5 job and fulfill their dream in a 5-to-9 hustle. For the moonlighting culture. For those who want more. We sit down with inspiring people for a conversation on how they fulfill their passions with creative projects. And why they do what they do. Let's Let's jump jump in! in. 5-to-9 In this episode of 5 to 9, we interviewed Mara Lecoq, the creator of Secret Code, a personalized children's book that stars your girl as a tech hero, and it won the Girl Boss Grant last year. We talked about her upbringing in France and the Philippines, and how not being normal was her normality. Her interest in technology and art. Her 12 years as a creative director in advertising, where she's been recognized by many industry organizations, including Can Lions, The One Club, and Mashable. How she wants to break stereotypes by offering diverse role models. And the hardest thing about working on a side project. Bum, bum, bum. I wonder what it is. <laughs> this discussion truly shows how Mara embodies secret code and the depth of her mission. Let's, Let's get, get right, right into, into it. it. Hi, Mara. We're <laughs> so excited for you to be here. Hi. Hi. Um, so to start off, we know that you have a really interesting background. So tell us about your background. So I grew up in the Philippines in the French community. Um, I went to the French school. I'm half French, half Filipino. Um, And uh, it was uh, the expat community, um, like uh, diplomats and expat kids. Um, So it was quite privileged, but I was the only one whose family was not expat, a.k.a. I was like poor compared to the other ones. So Mm -hmm. I always felt uh, different uh, growing up. And also being half white, half Asian is... I was already different from the Filipinos, but but even more different inside my own community. Um, also, with my dad being uh, Asian and my mom being French, that was also not normal. So I basically grew up sort of feeling maybe at a trying to post-rationalize, but uh, being at a disadvantage towards my friends. Um, and I know this sounds insane, but like basically I had a really tiny house and they were all living in mansions. So I was like, oh my God, I'm so poor. But actually it was just normal. <laughs> and then I moved to France um, and that was pretty cool. Um, you know, just it, Paris is pretty much like New York, but sort of the, the European version. Um uh, the one thing, though, is that I also never really felt like a normal French person, uh, even if I sound like them. Uh, they would affectionately call me the American because I was mm. enthusiastic. Because, <laughs> like, in France, you don't say things are awesome. Like, you never say that. You have to, like, not bad is awesome. So when something is awesome, you're like, oh, it's not bad. Oh, yeah, not bad, huh? Uh, <laughs> so when I would be like, it's awesome, <laughs> they'd be like, oh, my God, you're so American. <laughs> so I think. Um, all my life, um, uh, not being normal was my normality. Um, and when I arrived to New York for the first time, I actually felt normal. It was weird. You know, I was like, I almost felt like boring. I was like, wow, everybody's story is so fascinating and different. Um, so I consider New York as, as home and I felt home the first time when I was 30. So how did you develop your passion for technology and art? 
Um, so I was brought up in a really progressive family. My my dad was crazy about technology, uh, and today it sounds like super normal. But back in you know that was in the '80s, and he bought a computer in 1981, and I was born in 1983, and mm -hmm. I was an only child. So uh, the computer was always sort of my my brother, um, and uh, and he he brought me up like. I mean, he didn't think of it as like a son, but like he always, his, uh, my, both my parents considered me as just a human being and not like as a girl or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he would drag me to computer stores, uh, like when I was a baby while my mom would drag me to go shopping. Uh, so I had, I developed, uh, like, you know, different sides of, of my personality. And like at six years old, my dad would, uh, teach me how to dismantle a CPU. Um, and I don't know if you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, and at age 12, he taught me how to code by, uh, by buying me a book, how to code HTML three. Mm. So, and you know, back then I was the first girl in school to have internet in the first place and have my own website coded on notepad. And I was like super proud and everything. Uh, so that's like the sort of technological side. And, uh, for the artistic side, my parents, they, they brought me to a, um, oil painting class from age five to, uh, basically middle school. So I, I've been regularly oil painting, um, and doing exhibits and, uh, and things like that, like, like at the Metropolitan Museum in, in the, in the Philippines and like the big hotels. And, uh, because we were a bunch of kids oil painting, not because it was like, Mara is amazing, but like, uh, but you know, we did, we had an awesome teacher. So she really taught us amazing skills and, uh, at a really young age. So I developed both the artistic, uh, tech side. So it just makes total sense that today I'm a creative director in digital. So mm. like no originality there, but I mean, that's the whole point I'm trying to make with this project is that you end up, um, going and fulfilling careers because somebody inspired you when you were a kid, whether it's your parents or your sister or your neighbor or a TV show, uh, you know, something was planted at a young age that made you think that this could be a passion. Mm. Fast forward your childhood. How did you discover yourself in advertising? Um, so my dad was a creative director in advertising, which oh. sounds so lame because it's like, oh my God, she's following the footsteps of her dad. But no, uh, he was a copywriter and I really did not want to go into advertising. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was a kid, people were like, oh, do you want to be a creative director like daddy? And I was like, no, I never want to be uh, doing a job where I'm going to be in meeting rooms all day. Oh. <laughs> and that's my job. <laughs> um, but no, so I wanted to be uh, a designer. I was more on the art side. So I did art school and my dream was, you know, uh, back in the day, like to design, uh, CD covers <laughs> for albums. Cause I was like crazy about music. Mm -hmm. Um, and then at some point I had to choose an internship either at a dream company, uh, that made, um, uh, websites and CD cover designed for, for bands or a big ad agency. Um, and, uh, the, the first company like took a, some time to respond and wasn't like super on the ball when the big agency was. And my dad, you know, like trying to give good advice to his daughters, like, Oh, you need to go to a, like a big name and then you'll, you'll reap the benefits later. You'll meet great people. Mm -hmm. uh, it'll be, look really great on your resume. And, you know, he was right because, that's how I ended up in, in New York in the first place. I mean, I could have never got, uh, arrived here without uh, the visa I had, meaning mm -hmm. without going through advertising. So I'm really mm -hmm. thankful for that. 
What is Secret Code and when did you start it? How do, how did that came come about? One day I had a present to give to a little girl and I was like, okay, that I'm just going to go to a bookstore. No brainer. Um, and, uh, and I ended up being appalled by the lack of options there were in bookstores. And it was always like, it ended up being like princess shit or like fairy stories, or even if it's a little badass, it's still like a skater princess or a knight princess. It's mm-hmm. like, Oh my God, what is this obsession with, with princesses? princesses? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so I asked the lady, um, like, do you have anything that's kind of like more empowering? And then she's like, oh, we have these two wonderful books. And one of them was Rosie Revere Engineer. And it was a story of this engineer girl. Cool. Um, and then there's this other one. And both were like blonde girls. And it's like, great. So cool. But how about the little black girls or the little Asian girls? What do they have? And what I've noticed um, is that a lot of uh, books that speak of minorities, they, they're, the titles are like, why I eat dim sum or like my curly hair. Oh, and it's my like, oh my God. Like, why can't they have like cool, badass adventure stories like mm. the white girls um, or the white boys? <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I, I also understand that when you're an author Mm -hmm. and if you're if you look like if you look a certain way you probably want to do a story about somebody who looks like you I mean Mm -hmm. it's just a natural thing I'm I'm not like pointing fingers or anything so I thought okay why don't I create a book where everybody's going to be happy and where where we can where girls can uh recognize themselves in uh, a fun and empowering hero Mm -hmm. at the same time so I was talking about that uh Verizon campaign that I did so that was a couple years ago. Um, and the idea that uh, I came up with to raise awareness on the lack of females in STEM was, was that it's, it's not the, the big life lessons that impact girls' futures. It's the little things that steer them away from careers in science. It's parents trying to be overprotective um, and being like, oh, uh, don't, don't use a drill. Give it to your brother. Or, oh, don't, don't get your dress dirty. Uh, those are things like when you get dirty, like rummaging through your garden for worms, that's science right there. But girls are being discouraged from, from, from those types of hobbies that can lead to, uh, careers in science. When I, when I did that, uh, project, what we found out was that, um, stereotypes sink in between ages five and seven, and they impact children's interests and later their mm. aspirations. So at that age, children begin to associate jobs to genders. Um, so they start building interests and hobbies in, in those things they're exposed to at that early age. So overall, I wanted to offer uh, diverse role models mm. um, to to ignite the next generation. Yeah. I love it. It's like... Um... It's this is a kind of a fun train to connect this um, thought earlier, but the, the book is about it, like inclusivity, right? Yeah. And and um, what's what's cool is that like you you've traveled a lot in your in your lifetime, and maybe during your growing up, you learned how to be so inclusive because you were in so many places. And I think travel mm-hmm. allows us to empathize um, mm. in a, in a greater way. Oh yeah. Um, so. It's kind of like the the uh, your upbringing allowed you to um, get the perspective that allowed you to write this book that impacts other people in that way. Totally, yeah, um, yeah. It's true because I've I've always learned to adapt to whatever culture uh, I I was exposed to, and so 
so I, I want to share a message that is more inclusive. Mm-hmm. And my, my book is about a girl, but her best friend is a guy and he supports her and, uh, and he's there for her. Um, and actually the, the original vision of, of this project was I wanted to create two books. I wasn't like, I, I'm all for women and I'm all for the underdogs because that's generally what I'm attracted to and fascinated by um, when there's a problem to solve. Um, but I I didn't want it to be just a focus on women. It's just like really time consuming and, and hard to create anything that's good. Uh, so I focused on one, but I wanted to do a story about a girl and then simultaneously a story about a boy and addressing problems that boys go through, mm-hmm. uh, which is boys uh, in the United States grow up, um, they're not trained to be empathetic and to have feelings and to consider women as their equals because the alpha male is supposed to be really good at sports, to sleep with a lot of women, or to have a lot of money. Uh, and the best is to have all the three together. And I watched this documentary, I don't know if you, you've seen it, it's uh, The Mask Within. And um, and it's a and it's about how how boys are brought up in, in the states and there's this uh, uh, retired NFL coach who was saying the most the three most destructive the two most destructive words that guys grow up with is man up wow. and and I think that really contributes to the tension there is today in the states uh, between men and women it's because a lot of men they just don't consider women as their equals because they haven't been brought up in a way in that way. And I'm, I'm saying this because I, I, well, I've been in three different countries before mm. and it's, it's the first time I see a relationship change in the States. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that it seems like the core of your book and your, you said that originally there were kind of two books and two plot lines and it's pretty much like breaking stereotypes. You want to tell guys that you don't, society says that you have to man up and be a man like you don't you can be who you are and for girls society says that you need to be a princess you don't you can be a superhero and it seems like the core of what your books are trying to do is that yes um and so what what exact what is the overall plot of secret code and what was the process like coming up with the plot uh, Secret Code is a personalized children's book that stars your girl as a tech hero. Mm. And the way it works is that you go on yoursecretcode.com and you personalize her skin color, her name, and her hairstyle. So it looks like the girl you want to inspire. Mm. And then she receives a beautiful picture book two weeks later at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a story of a badass robot engineer who decides to build a robot to do her chores for her Mm -hmm. because she's so busy with her side hustles that she doesn't want to clean up her house. Uh, (laughs) Dream. I want that. (laughs) Initially, I wanted to, you know, based on the experience I had in, in the bookstore, I wanted to do a series of books. Actually, I was like, I want them to be badass girls. And I was thinking of like girls who are motorcyclists. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another girl was like an activist who would, go to Monsanto and put like light it on fire. I was like, <laughs> I was trying to brainstorm in different directions. Um, and then I landed on the technology one, uh, I think cause I was just closer to the topic and I could I think the best stories come from something quite personal. Cause you can dive into little fun details. Whereas like, if you don't really master a subject, you know, it's like write what you know. So, mm-hmm. um, 
And, uh, and also that, that was really trying to solve a problem of the lack of role models that, mm -hmm. uh, girls of different ethnicities have. Yeah. Um, and, uh, have so you ever heard of this book that I think you might like, or you should maybe partner on something with that, but it's good night stories yes. of rebel girls. Yes. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. It's supposed to be really great. I don't yeah. know, but it's basically badass women who have rebelled and like, uh, created something amazing. In yes. The past, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah. Uh, no, I, heard, I actually followed the Kickstarter campaign and, um, and I have it. It's really well written. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's like this, the same sort of premise. And I think, you know, it's like, there's not one thing that, that solves. I think it's just, um, uh, an accumulation of, of cultural objects that, that influence, um, people. Um, so like the more there are books or stories or even in, in Hollywood, um, films that that show different role models the better it is mm -hmm. i wanted girls to to feel empowered and to start uh liking a field that's classically male dominated and to start feeling comfortable in a in a field that they're not traditionally meant to like so a lot of parents and uh, aunts and uncles have reached out to me to tell me that um their girls they started they started suddenly calling each other coders um and a girl i i remember this message by heart because it really touched me um she's like uh my i gave secret code to my six-year-old niece who hated science now she wants to take robot camp and she plays engineer oh and that was ex that was exactly the my goal uh i think uh, to its core that's also one of the the deep insights it's like it doesn't matter where you're from how you look like um, you end up, you can live any story that you want to live. And that's basically how, how my life panned out. Mm. What was the hardest thing about making this book? Um, I think it's the hardest thing is to not be hard on yourself or on myself. Um, because I think it's easy. Like I've, I've been working in advertising for 12 years and I sort of, take for granted that I'm decent on my job. Um, you rarely make mistakes because you're also surrounded by a team of professionals. So you're like 12 people, like it's, everybody's pretty awesome in general. Um, here I was on my own. I had three partners, but I was really like doing most of, most of everything. I was being the accountant and the lawyer and the project manager and the strategist and creative director and mm -hmm assistant and designer and intern, like it was everything. Um, and, um, and some things I didn't know because it was publishing. So a lot of moments I was like, Oh fuck, I should have done this before. I should, I shouldn't have listened to her or I should have listened to her. Why did I do this at this moment? And not at that moment. Um, I should have insisted more on this, you know, all these things that, you know, you just, um, when you're sort of alone in your own little side hustling world, you just start building negative thoughts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, in general, I'm not like a fan of myself. I mean, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just sort of like, I, I work on my stuff. And I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah. Whatever. When people, when people are, you know, give me a compliment, I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, I was trying to do what I was trying to do. You know, it's like, I don't overthink it. So it's really easy for me to, to go slightly on the negative side. If something negative happens, I'll be like, oh my God, why did I do that? Da, da, da. So that was for me the hardest part. Cause it's all so psychological like you just, I mean, it actually, it's just unproductive to be negative. You mm -hmm. just, 
and it's really all in your head. You know, I can be really down at some point and somebody talks to me and is like, oh, what you're doing is awesome. It changed my life. And I'm like, oh, oh, great. I feel great again. And, you know, it's just trying to channel that and stay positive because mm. that people want that. And it's also better for your business. Mm. How do you prioritize uh, your freelance work and uh, secret code? Um, ideally it's a, a 50, 50 ratio that I'm trying to achieve. Um, and it worked, uh, really well with a company that I, an agency I'm working with. Um, and, uh, but it's tough because, you know, like any project, there's moments that need all your focus and those that don't need so much focus. So, I mean, it's, I think it's good to aim at something, but not to be hard on yourself if it's not perfect. But uh, I think with the freelance life, it's really great because you make a lot of money, um, for, you know, little amount pockets of time. I mean, you can, I basically, I don't know, like having savings is, is important. And also I've, um, started developing a different relationship with money. Um, ever since I watched, I saw this, um, exhibit by Zagmeister on happiness. Have you seen that one? No. It was so cool. It was like a few years ago. And he he describes like all the ways of being happy, et cetera. And one of the things that I remembered was um, people are happier with more money until they reach 80K. And be, uh, beyond 80K, it doesn't make much of a difference. Like there, hmm. And that sort of transformed my, my thinking. I, I, I knew there was something in that space, but for... Sagmeister to say it, who lived in New York. I mean, whatever. I mean, this is a few years ago. Maybe it's a little bit more now in New York. But um, yeah, I've never been obsessed about money. Um, so for me, as a creative director, I used to make a, a lot. Um, and I actually don't give a fuck. Like, mm -hmm. I could make easily 50% of that and be super happy. And uh, it's funny because back to, like, the influence of childhood. Um, you know, I was telling you that my family was the only one who wasn't diplomats or expats in, in, in our community. But, and I remember having a conversation with my mom and then she'd be like, you know, I could be if I wanted to. And I, I was like, mom, like, I want to imagine too. Like, what are you doing? And she's like, I don't want their jobs. I'm going to hate my life. I don't care about money. I'd rather earn less and be happy and read books. And, and it's true. I, I had a really happy childhood with happy parents and everything. And that sort of stuck with me and, mm. and, you know, they were both sort of middle class, like into culture and everything. And, and now that I'm getting older, I'm sort of seeing them as role models once more and being like, yeah, I mean, I could be happy with a, the salary of a teacher. And yeah. actually, for sure, because teachers have like this awesome uh, purpose and are, I mean, yeah. So right now I'm this phase. I'm, I just want purpose, a goal and pay some bills and go to a restaurant once in a while and you know, I'll be happy with that. I love seeing projects that totally reflect who the person is. And I feel like Secret Code is basically the perfect reflection of who Mara is, especially as like this badass girl who has a robot on oh, the side. Totally. I feel like this. I mean, it's basically my story, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, as a kid, I was resourceful. I think, I don't know, um, my parents were always just you know, when I, whenever I had a problem about something, um, my, my parents would be like, do it. Like, I'd be like, uh, Papa, what does, what does this word mean? He's like, find it, mm -hmm. pick up the dictionary, open it. And they'd never like do things for me. Um, and so I think I sort of got trained to, 
just find solutions on my own. And I'd like, I'd, I'd have all these ideas for tests um, where like, I remember being nine years old and I hated history, but I wanted to have good grades. So I would find systems to learn history. So I would type the whole um, history chapter and then put holes in some words and then print it and then fill up all the missing words. And also, but also I would do like three different versions where I change up the words. Oh my God. So I think like. So intense. (laughs) (laughs) And I had another system where um, I would ask questions uh, per sentence. So it's like, oh, in 1914, there was a battle of this. And then I'd be like, what battle happened in 1914? So I could like predict the questions I'd get the next day in at at test. So, So I think like. That, you know, the story of that girl uh, creating robots to solve her problems, that's kind of maybe where that stemmed from. <laughs> Have you, like, had a lot of side projects before, or is this kind of like your year? Yeah, yeah, actually, a good question. I, yeah, I've, I've always had side projects. Like, there were, I don't know, that's where I find my own happiness when I, when I do stuff creatively. I mean, it's, I don't even, I don't know, if it's, I don't think it's art or anything, but it's just like, I just need an outlet, and I've, I've, I mean, probably you guys too, like I've done like probably 10 different blogs, you know, that for, for different random reasons. Um, and you know, at at the end, like one of them got picked up uh, a few years ago for, like I did a a blog about the cultural contrast between France and Toronto. It was like Paris versus Toronto. Um, and it got shared like 5,000 times, um, which was really random because it was just like me sharing with my friends. So I was like, Oh, cool. So yeah, I, I love side projects just to express any inner turmoil or thoughts um, that you have. Mm. Uh, What is one piece of advice that you would give somebody who's trying to start a side project right now? Just do it. I think (laughs) it sounds, yeah, it's just, and actually I used to work on Nike, so maybe that's the influence, (laughs) but (laughs) no, but uh, it sounds so obvious, but I think a lot of people are are paralyzed and um, because some things sound so huge, Um, but what I like to do, and that's how I also, uh, deal with work is when I see a mountain, I actually, wow. I just, uh, started imagining. I just, I just started thinking of my, my pattern when I even go shopping, when I go shopping, I don't see the full store. I dive in. I'm like rack number one, rack number two, rack number three. And I don't see the full thing. I just dive. And I think work should be like that too, because when you see the full mountain or the full, room it just sounds so impressive like oh my god i have to do all this so it's just like so overwhelming yeah but if you just like look down on your feet he's like oh yeah i just have this mini thing to do that's how things get done and i've felt paralyzed in different moments and i just just get on with it okay it's like okay i have like 50 emails to write personal emails to different people and just go one and one and one and one until i end up reaching 50 so, yes. Yeah. So basically breaking things down so you don't get overwhelmed. Yes. Yeah. Sweet. So what's next for Secret Code? What are you working on right now? Uh, I am working on uh, trying to pitch Secret Code as a show. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm super excited. I mean, I, I, I'm excited by things that um, scare me because um, <laughs> it's just like anything or actually things I hate end up being the objects of my fascination uh, because it's like, I hate it. And then, uh, I end up fascinated by it. Like it's mysterious. And then you just want to try to do it. Um, and, uh, next feature of secret code, 
um, which is pushing the personalization to uh, let diverse families also see themselves in this book because uh, parents play a role in Secret Code and I want to let same-sex parents, mixed-race parents and single parents to finally see themselves portrayed in children's media that always ignores them. This is usually our wrap-up question. We like to tell, we like to, we like to ask our guests this. What are you currently obsessed with? Could be anything. Actually, anything except Secret Code. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm so not obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard of The Daily uh, by New York Times? It's It just explains politics mm-hmm. every single day. Uh, but the the narrator, he's really he's really great. He's like a young guy, um, and he's not like you know he tries to be as objective as possible, and uh, you know keeps it real as much as possible. And what's great is that they they you can hear recordings of what happens in court with different White House lawyers and all the stuff that you don't that you don't see on you know on the news because it's more sensationalist. So it, it dives a little deeper, mm. and it's just really great to to learn more about politics, about politics. I mean, before, before the election, I would, I would have been like, Oh, I'm not really into politics. And now I'm like, I'm so like into politics now. (laughs) I think everybody's like waking up. (laughs) That was Mara. Biggest takeaway, make your own normality. When you feel uncomfortable and have self doubt, know that often it's just inside your head, own it and stay positive. You create your state of normality, just like Mara did. Yes! Shout out to Rick Thomas for mixing and mastering this session. We also want to thank our production manager, Shanna Elise. We want to thank Mara for coming and speaking with us at the Rise Podcast Studio. Rise is a co-working space and community of the world's brightest thinkers and doers, working together to create the future of financial service. Go to our Facebook page to get our updates and also follow us on Instagram at 529collective. And of course, last but not least, subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) What was that? I don't know.